Hello, and welcome to yet another edition of the Arena Craft Podcast, a show focused exclusively on Magic the Gathering Arena. My name is Arjuna, the vanilla host, as it were, and um, joining us with our usual chocolate is uh, Kovac Go Blue. Say hello, Kovac Go Blue. <laughs> what the heck is... <laughs> This is a punishment. This is a punishment because you wanted me to do my awkward hosty thing for your amusement. And I said no. And now I'm now I'm chocolate ice cream. Hey, you know, everyone goes for the chocolate, right? It's a it's a place of honor. Dude, if you're vanilla, though, you're a little spicy vanilla. Okay. You're not French that. vanilla. I'm like, I'm like spinach <laughs> vanilla, a little green in there, you know? And um, joining us. You guys don't see me often. I'm mint. I'm fresh. There you <gasps> go. Oh, I dig it. I dig it. I had to jump in. I'm sorry. It was too good. No, I mean, you're, you are one third of the trifecta known as the ArenaCraft podcast this week. So uh, for our audio listeners, let's introduce you. MTG Nerd Girl returns to the show. Extremely popular previous co-host, you know, sitting with Kovac Go Blue in his streaming booth. You know, Godzilla and Mothra are reunited once again i trust that y'all have been having fun making all kinds of fantastic content yeah definitely it's nice to get a visitor in the middle of nowhere northern michigan hopefully hasn't been too cold or uh, dreary here this autumn yeah we filmed a youtube video we filmed a draft we did a live stream challenge i've been doing some stuff with with jackie on her stream and yeah it's been been great oh the commander games oh yeah Filmed some Commander games at the local game store. The people there were uh, no really exciting. Yeah, the staff like shut it down for half a day. It was really cool, actually, to film some Commander content. Heck yeah. Well, I'm sure that a lot, if not all of that, can be found on Covert Go Blue's YouTube channel or maybe in your Twitch VODs, right? Like the Commander stuff, there's going to be one game on my YouTube channel, one game on MTG Nerd Girl's YouTube channel, and it should be posted within the week. Uh, not sure when people will hear this and when we'll be posting it. And then, yeah, Twitch VODs have a good amount of our showdown and some of our co-op stuff. So. So y'all listening, first thing I want you to do is to go and subscribe to MTG Nerd Girl's YouTube channel. It is the place to be. I've seen you posting a lot of cool stuff on that channel. Yeah, definitely a cool spot to go check out. And of course, you know, if you're not already following her on twitch.tv, then go ahead and do that as well. So, okay, uh, intro out of the way. Us vanilla, chocolate, and mint here, uh, the trifecta we are going to today be discussing format. What makes a good format. Now, of course, Nerd Girl focuses mostly on limited, uh, whereas we tend to be more of a constructed format podcast here. However, I'm really excited about this because I'm always looking for a chance to discuss limited on this show. And we've discovered that the kryptonite, the kryptonite to bust through Covert Go Blues, just like bullish refusal to play limited is actually MTG Nerd Girl. So <laughs> always a pleasure. Always a pleasure Guilty. to have you on the show, Nerd Girl. <laughs> he tolerates it for me, I suppose. I, I had the vagueness, uh, like a tiny inkling of fun. Well, we actually have a video that's going to be on her channel. We did a draft together and I got to... Uh... So much fun. Don't let him lie to you. He had a blast. We 7 owed, and he was hyped. Uh, the viewers liked it. I'm slowly converting him. It'll be good times. Arjuna, we first picked a Tovalar. Ooh. Tovalar. 
Okay. Pick two to deluge. Uh, pick two memory deluge. What the heck, man? It's like a replay of Michael J. Flores, right? You know what it Dude. is? It's that cop pulling off the freeway meme. That's what happened, right? <laughs> I'm not done. <laughs> okay. All we right. got an unnatural growth. Oh. As a first pick. Okay. We were passed as a third pick, a Tovlar's Huntmaster. Oh, damn. Mono green? Our deck. Our deck was blue-black control. <laughs> blue-black, mediocre, sub-mediocre control. Uh, it was a 7-0. Like all commons and uncommons except for the memory deluge. <laughs> <laughs> Just horrible garbage. Garbage, Arjuna. Leave it up to see. I loved it. Man. We had no removal. No defenestrate. Nothing. <laughs> still And still got the 7-0. You know, the people want to know why Kavaka Blue doesn't play more limited. I don't know, man. I mean, I helped. Let's be honest. <laughs> there we go. Okay, now now we see the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain there. So, Kavaka Blue, you've had a chance to play some uh, Innistrad Limited. And of course, Nerd Girl, you've been playing it just like nonstop, I'm sure. I have heard that you've had some uh, not so pleasant thoughts about the format. Is that true? I mean, it's the first format in a very long time that got super boring to me very quickly. I played for like two days and I was like, I'm kind of done. And I have never really felt that about a format. And I think that's just because the color balance is just really off. Mm. So I felt like I was playing against the same thing every time. I felt like every pack, you know, my pack one pick one was almost always the same because those cards are just too strong in comparison. That's often a feature of formats that people don't like, right? Is I guess they call them prints formats instead of pauper formats, where like the differential in power level of the cards is super great and feels kind of crushing if you fall on the wrong side of that. So what we're going to do, just to make sure I've made it clear, is we're going to talk about, you know, both limited and constructed formats on this episode and just kind of get into the the kind of nuts and bolts of like, when do we enjoy a format? When do we not enjoy a format? What does this teach us about magic? What does this teach us about game design? So we're going to take like a bit more of a, it's like a meta, meta approach on this show. But let's start with the limited portion. I've basically not played any limited whatsoever of this format on arena i've played a few in-person drafts with my local play group because that's basically my favorite way to play magic is like in-person limited with friends pretty much doesn't get better than that for me and i just noticed like before i'd even cracked a single pack of this format i just noticed i was not excited to play it and i'm definitely like i go with my gut a lot for limited formats like there's something about like I'm, i'll just be scanning over the card pool and if nothing jumps out at me especially in like the common and the uncommon rarities is like oh that card is freaking sweet i can't wait to crack that in a pack and build around it then like i'm often just like not very incentivized to play but so the prince nature of this format has been kind of turning you off nerd girl are that like what what else about this format has been contributing to it like losing its life so quickly i mean it like i said the so the color pairings are just super awkward i think that that makes it so you're running into that you know the similar decks but a- another part of it too is like you were talking about that nothing really jumps out at you especially in that uncommon slot where i feel like the build around signpost cards are very simple and very not exciting. You don't need them to make the deck as far as like the like Scab Lord and the Azorius Flyer type mechanics. It's just not an overly exciting format. And we're supposed to have the showcase of werewolves, but why are blue black zombies by far 
you know, triple X the power level. It's kind of nuts. I ended up feeling that way about a very different format, but in recent memory, Kaldheim, where it was a format that I burned out on because I felt like some of the archetypes were so much more powerful than the other ones that it was kind of a joke. You know, in this, this limited format, it feels like blue. Blue just feels so strong to me in general. And, you know, if you're like one of the people who moves in on blue early in the draft, CGBs, CGBs. This is explaining a lot about my (laughs) joyful experience. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, basically just, you know, getting to play control and limited. Gotta love that. Gotta love that. Would you agree, CGB, just based on your, your limited experience playing the format? How has it felt to you so far? I think it says a lot that we had those sweet, like, red and green cards and just black mediocrity even with no removal and some a little bit of blue interaction was so much better i was kind of amazed at just how not easy that the games were but how many options we had that were good that was something that stood out to me in the draft is we'd be discussing play and like we could do this or we could do that that's both good and our opponents basically playing green and white creatures a good amount of the time and just kind of destroyed them with more value than they could hope to assemble. Yeah, I think that you're talking my language here. It sounds like when control is like too good or probably when anything is too good and limited and you have access to it because it's very common, that's probably going to make the format stale if it feels like every game's the same. Yeah, and and part of the problem with that is that blue and black is so deep. And when I say deep, I mean that all of the cards are highly playable in comparison to some of the other colors where there's just a lot more chaff. So that can support a lot more blue-black drafters at the table, meaning that's going to be a higher percentage of the pool you're playing against. And it's just going to get really repetitive really quickly. Yeah, our uh, pack three pick 15 got made the deck, actually. And, and we weren't short of playables. Yeah. I think it was like the novice something, the, the the one two that draws a card when it dies. Yep. Yeah. Playable card for yeah. sure. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. Okay, nerd girl. I'm curious if you contrast this with like one of your favorite what's one of your favorite limited formats from recent memory? I mean, the easy answer to that is Dominaria, but as a limited only player, I do like, you know, mixing things up. So I, I don't tend to form very strong opinions one way or another. But I mean, I think Dominaria is hands down the best in the recent years. So let's talk about why that is. What does Dominaria have, which Midnight Hunt does not have when it comes to limited? Oh, boy. Yeah, good question. So Dominaria was really flexible. I felt like there was a wide range of decks. All of the interaction amongst those decks was very fun. And I always felt like, you know, something is clearly better than something else. But like you could spike a good deck if you get a good rare, a good build around. Like the options were there. And it just doesn't feel like it is here in Midnight Hunt. I feel like for me, one of the things that I remember about Dominaria Limited was you were talking about sweet, uncommon build arounds. And I feel like Dominaria had them in frickin' spades. Was that the first set where we actually had uncommon legends? Am I remembering that right? That's right. Yeah. I I don't know if it was the first set with uncommon legends, but I had so many legends and a lot of, there was one in every pack, right? Every pack had a legend. I think that was the thing. I think that's right. Yeah. I don't know about that. It was also the first set with sagas. And I actually think that that's a really cool thing Uh, for magic. Agree on that. (laughs) I mean, it's true. I remember like when drafting that set, like just the draft portion was so fun because I felt like there were so many powerful, interesting cards that did cool things. It wasn't like Strixhaven where every card was a book. 
And you weren't particularly interested in reading any of those books either. You're just like, oh, look at this card with a lot of text that's probably not going to make my deck. Whereas I felt like in Dominaria, it was like, oh my God, like I have too many good ideas. And like the hardest part of this draft is just like narrowing down to which cool stuff I actually want to put in my deck. So that, that was my memory of it. Yeah, I think that sometimes like the formats are getting more and more complicated because they're putting more text on the cards, but that's not necessarily making the the format more fun or interactive in any way. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. It's definitely not uh, doesn't make spoiler season more fun, as we established on this show and <laughs> no. our listeners remember. Uh, spoiler season uh, where you're just constantly reading and then saying, Ugh, does this do anything is not enjoyable. <laughs> Yeah, Nerd Girl, the Strixhaven set review actually broke us. Broke us. I think it's the only thing on the podcast that has ever broken through mine and CGB's resolve to make a good show. <laughs> we were defeated, dude. <laughs> we literally apologized to our audience after that set review. So one of my favorite limited formats now, this is, it goes back a little ways, but fortunately it has been reprised on the Arena client in recent years a number of times, is... Kaladesh. And yeah, CGB, I can tell you're excited about this. For some I reason. never drafted Kaladesh once. Let's go. <laughs> okay. Not even All the right. free one that they gave you? Top left. <laughs> oh, man. Go, never... If you want to roast me, go ahead. <laughs> he burned, he top left and retired 12 draft tokens. I'm so mad. I'm absolutely livid. That's like $100 worth of gems we could have won, even if we just did medium. I'm so mad. I'm like an EV value grinder. Like, that's what I care about most. A lot of my content's like, you know, the economy side of Arena. And he's just like burning draft tokens. Like, Okay, so we had an arrangement for a good amount of this year that every now and then we would get together usually on like a Thursday night, and she would log onto my account and play some drafts. And we had draft, like I had the draft tokens from all the pre-orders I've done, right? So she knew I had like nine of these or so. I had 12 since the last one came through. So the first thing she says when we sit down here and I power up the client, she's like, how do you have only one draft token? (laughs) And I'm like busted because I burned them all on like an all night binge of just trying to get all the Innistrad Midnight (laughs) hunt rares that I wanted. I just cracked all of them because I didn't feel like putting another hundo bucks into arena that night. (laughs) And she's so, she will never forgive me. Even if you just top left graft, let me try to get you some wins. Come on, man. (laughs) Don't just throw it in the trash. She'll never forget this. CGB, you're not just a whale, you're a killer whale. You're an orca out in that bay, man. Just chewing up those draft tokens. (laughs) So... We were getting around to one of the sweetest limited formats of all time, Kaladesh. This is probably the first limited format that I ever played on the internet. I actually downloaded MTGO in order to play this format because I was really excited about it. And I went so, so, so deep on Kaladesh. And one of the reasons for that was just that it was designed to be a modular limited format. So it was actually the whole point of that set was to try to encourage you to combine cards in different ways and see what happened. It felt like this kind of like mad scientist, like Petri dish format. And the magical thing about it was that they actually succeeded. Like they actually created this thing. And I mean, literally one of the last drafts of Kaladesh I did when they were offering it in best of three, which was a while ago, 
Like I posted this deck list and it was like this four color deck list. It had energy sub themes. It had counter sub themes. It had the freaking counter snake in it. Whatever that guy was called. Starts with a C. Constrictor. Winding, winding constrictor. Winding constrictor. I mean, it was just this monstrosity of a deck, like clean 3-0 sweep, never felt challenged. It was just freaking sweet. It was the kind of format that really rewarded like expertise. It rewarded you being able to be like, ooh, era of innovation. I can put that in like 10 different decks. I can go in a bunch of different directions with this. It was such an amazing format. And I feel like it's hard for me to sometimes stomach some of these other limited formats when I know that Wizards is capable of making something like that. Because I just feel like, why would you not? Like, why would you not try to make every format a Kaladesh? Now, I understand that it's like game design. I understand that there's just so many different decisions that happen behind the doors at Wizards. But I feel like when I'm looking at a limited format, like if I don't feel like I have that level of customization and that level of different avenues that I can take in a draft, I feel like this is a whole branch of the formats just shut off to me. Is that why you busted out the art for Prophetic Prism as your background for the YouTube crowd? One of my favorite cards to draft ever so that the color flexibility is something i want to get into like the mana flexibility but i'm i was going to talk about it in a standard sense it sounds like you like drafting four color bring it all together kind of piles too here's the thing i really enjoy in a draft when every pick is like ooh, what's next right like i want to feel like every pack has 10 cards in it for me, has 12 cards in it for me, has however many cards are in the pack like that actually feel like legitimate choices, right? And I feel like in a lot of formats, you just move in on a color pair early and like even as early as like the middle of pack one, you're only looking at like, you know, 10% to 20% of the cards in the pack. I think that's a real shame, personally. So yeah, I mean, talk about standard from your perspective a little bit, CGB. As far as like formats that we like and don't, uh, yeah, that, that was part of what I got excited about the show for is we needed to dunk a little bit on current formats for being too predictable. And current standard is rather predictable. You pretty much have an option that says you are going to win with All Runs Epiphany by about turn six or seven, or you have to beat them to death first with mono green or mono white. And when a format is solved in that direction and all the other possibilities and in the middle just don't seem to matter or make a big difference, I think that there's usually frustration there. And I think something that makes a good format, uh, a good standard format, is when the cards in all of the different like phases of the game, both the early game, the middle game, and the late game, they're strong but comparable. So if you imagine that Auron's Epiphany weren't that much of the format, and you look at cards like Storm the Festival and Blood on the Snow as some of the expensive things we could be doing, I think that's an interesting dynamic because one card rewards you for having stuff in the graveyard and rewards you for playing Snowlands, which isn't always the best mana. And the other card rewards you for having all these five mana and four mana permanents that you want to hit. But if they're all creatures, you play against Blood on the Snow and then they Blood on the Snow after your festival, etc. Also, um, you can play around Blood in the Snow with cards that are indestructible, like Immerstrom Predator, a card that doesn't really matter when everybody's playing Divide by Zero. So I, I think that the spots in the curve should be comparable. And I think something that helps you kind of solve the deck building of that is when the colors are mixable. So I think of like a good standard format like Cons of Tarkir, where we had 
fetch lands and we had the like prairie streams that you could fetch up with them so you could basically fetch a dual land basically people could build three and four color mana bases easily to combine a lot of the cards that they wanted to work and that format never got really solved because you had access to all these different cards and all these different colors in all kinds of strategies to combat the other colors right now the only way to combat blue is to counter it or go under it. So it limits what people can do. So I I think that mana has a lot to do with it, which is why I, you know, saw you mention the prism and that came to my mind. Isn't that just effect of being just post-rotation though? Like our mana base is going to get more and more complicated the further we get away from rotation. I feel like that's pretty common for us to have that where we go back to these simpler two-color decks at the beginning, and then we get more and more complicated as we go, which is part of the reason aggro is really good post-rotation and control really picks up, you know, once we get to about midway through. I think that's kind of common for what we see in most sets. I would like to know where Hans of Tarkir was in that rotation. I don't actually know. Was it towards the end, middle, end, beginning? I think it was the start of a new rotation because I think that the actual cons brought in cards like Prairie Stream. The historians of magic will look it up. But I think that cons actually like brought in the Prairie Stream. Or no, that cons had the fetch lands. What was it that brought? It was Innistrad, I think. I think it was actually going to Innistrad that brought in like Prairie Stream type lands, Cinder Glade, the ones that you could fetch. Yeah, so it was the start of Innistrad that suddenly had this four color mana base. It was right after rotation. It was a fall set, which is why it's pretty rare, I think, in magic history that that's happened. Well, I mean, it was it was a set where they were really going hard on three color, right? They wanted to make sure that it was supported. You know, I mean, we also saw that with Akaria, for example, it's a more recent set where they kind of had these three color lands. Now, granted, that wasn't an immediate post rotation set. I think that that may be like one of the reasons why that was really exceptional format. Just exceptional in all senses of the word. Uh, I was going to say my only concern with current standard is that the power level of some cards has kind of chewed out like a third of what we typically have access to. So normally control, you know, aggro will be control, control will be more mid-rangey, mid-rangeys can stabilize before the aggro can get under them. But Epiphany is just so strong that the mid-range is essentially just taken out of the game because we're seeing so many Epiphany decks. So it's just like this only green Epiphany type mirror matches that we're seeing because the the middle ground there just has no win rate against against what we're seeing as the majority of the meta, which kind of makes me kind of sad. Yeah, there's a lot of cool cards that you just can't play if they don't outright win the game. Like five and six mana cards that need like you to untap and do something with it are almost pointless because you'll never get another turn. That kind of thing. Yeah, when I'm at 25 and they get seven turns and it takes all seven to kill me, I'm just like, well, all right. Yep. Sweet. I like what you did there. I find this really interesting, though, because so I don't know if you played or were exposed much to the standard 2022 format, Nerd Girl. But, you know, I mean, CGB and I went really deep on that format. And one of the things that was remarkable about that format was that there were really no ultimately overpowered cards in the format. And it's it's really interesting to contrast that with what's going on now. So we had Gold Span Dragon, we had Auron's Epiphany, we had a Seeker's Chariot. These were all cards that we had in the format. And of course they all saw a lot of play. I mean, you know, you kind of were hard pressed to not leave home without them. If you were playing those colors, obviously there were some draws to those colors. But none of those cards seemed OP. And I actually thought that that was one of the fantastic things about that format was that even 
as we were getting towards the end of it before the actual rotation happened, it still wasn't necessarily clear what the best decks in the format were. And I still felt like, you know, you could be comfortable leaving home with a with a black blood on the snow deck. You could be comfortable leaving home with an epiphany deck. You could be comfortable leaving home with pretty much whatever speed of deck that you wanted. And as long as you, you know, did play some of the more powerful cards in the format, you felt competitive. So I just think I'm I'm kind of curious what thoughts the two of you might have about like what changed what why is it that midnight hunt came along and all of a sudden like Aaron's epiphany and gold spend dragon and Asika's chariot are feeling way too strong what shifted to make that happen deluge deluge is really good that's like like if we're playing the family feud right and we're like picking the things on the board like <laughs> deluge is probably top three because you're getting it all the time it's similar to once upon a time like you're you're so easy to piece together the things that you need to like make that work. It conveniently costs less than Goldspan Dragon and everything else. And then you're digging seven to find the next epiphany. So you're constantly having more than one, which is not cool. Like I can beat one. I can't really beat two or three. I would say like similar to what you're saying, th- those decks that are now taken over, they got more new tools than a new set normally gives, right? Dragon's got smoldering egg and now people have figured out how good that is along with deluge galvanic iteration made the turns thing really hum and in the case of like mono green they got ren in seven which is like the best planeswalker in the format and it's interesting that like there's one or two huge additions to the existing archetypes made it better than everything the werewolf deck could try to do you know they had done a good job for a while like since kaldheim strixhaven didn't really give anything to the existing decks Neither did Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, unless you count like Prosperous Innkeeper and Winota, which, you know, in the grand scheme of things isn't much. This rotation, it took those decks that were on the cusp and it gave them the best cards. It really did. I mean, is it just getting like so many haymakers is kind of a feels bad? (laughs) I mean, Fading Hope, let's talk about that card. Like, I think Fading Hope is just quietly one of the like flaws or ceilings on the format depending on how you look at it that card is such an overperformer. it's it's kind of hard to for me to really fathom like how it's changed the meta game so for starters fading hope is like single-handedly the reason that i think you can't play simic ramp anymore in the form really yeah yeah so like one blue bounce your thing you're afraid of that with your obviously oh, coma yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and not just Coma. I mean, think about like the giant Cyclone Summoner. That's just another like basically playing seven drop creatures is just off the map. Like who wants to commit that much mana to playing something like that in a format when your opponent can just bounce it for one mana at instant speed? It feels bad, you know? It's kind of like if Teferi Time Raveler was still in the format, we would have this same problem, right? Where like you just don't want to resolve these huge permanents, especially, okay, so like Cyclone Summoner is, you know, obviously fantastic against, against some decks, but it's so bad against decks like Is It. So it's, it's already a card that's bad against Is It, and now they have the perfect trump for it as well, right? They trump you harder than before, yeah. Right. <laughs> and so like one of the problems that Is It had in the previous format, like in standard 2022, you could slam down a Cyclone Summoner against them. And okay, it wasn't the best card in your deck. It's a, you know, you weren't like digging to a 
towards your Cyclone Summoner to win the game. But once that thing came down, your opponent basically didn't have an answer for it, right? They like they'd have to chain together two or three burn spells to kill it. And that or you know, maybe they had a divide by zero, right? That was probably their best answer to it. But now just being able to answer it so efficiently is just such a beat, right? And so I do think that like when you go down the deck list of these is it decks, whether they're the turns decks or the dragons decks, like they really do just have a lot of the best cards in the format. We have Fading Hope. It's an amazing one mana interactive spell. It even gives you value, lets you look at the top of your deck, right? We have Expressive Iteration, which is like shaping up to be the best card from Strixhaven. I mean, like, yeah, not not very close right now. Yeah, yeah. seeing play like way back in older formats, you know, we've even got like Prismari command, which ended up being head and shoulders, the best command from that cycle. I mean, it's like you just you go down the list and they've just kind of got the best in class of all of these cards. So that is kind of hard to swallow, I have to say. We need sets with no good is it cards for the rest of <laughs> like the, the un- yeah. until the next rotation i think would be would be fair yeah i mean you know i know a lot of the people from r&d and and they're the smartest people i know but every once in a while there's just multiple sets where you get this one color pair that just seems to get a lot of love uh before it was like simic with oko and uro okay. and and like <laughs> how many more simic bombs do we need guys and now we're just seeing mm. the same thing and is it no it's a really really good point yeah i know remember when simic was good I remember mm-hmm. those days. <laughs> it wasn't just good. It was just like unbeatable. They ended up having to ban half of it. Yeah, they banned every other Simic rare. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about white. Because I feel like for a while, people were complaining that like white was just getting crapped on, right? They were like, white never gets any good cards. It, it's a meme. It's become like a meme in the magic community that white just sucks so hard. I actually think, in my opinion, I think Wizards has done a great job of like bringing white back in line with the power level of standard. And I think that it's actually a really good example of how you can make a color better without totally breaking magic, right? And one of the things that I like about white is that so many of their threats are creature based and i feel like when you make your threats creature based it's there's just less that can go wrong okay things can still go wrong you can still end up having to ban stuff sometimes it's like no one's clamoring to ban elite spellbinder right or no one's clamoring to ban skyclave apparition okay i mean cgb obviously (laughs) is not super happy about those cards (laughs) I I was just going to say that I think they found exactly what they needed to do to white. They, okay, can I make a really bad analogy? Can I do a really bad story? Okay, I'm going to do a really bad story. Like, nobody's going to get this, but you have done soccer slash English football talk on here, so I'm going to do some American football talk on here. All right, bring it. In my home state, there's like a quote-unquote rivalry between the huge school Michigan and the smaller school Michigan State. And for a long time, people at Michigan were just kind of like, would say disrespectful things about Michigan State. A player famously in a press conference said, they're like your little brother. You let them get close sometimes and then you finish them off, right? (laughs) And then like, they got this coach who did a great job recruiting. His name's like Mark D'Antonio. And they said... Like Michigan fans like say with reverence, he made us hate Michigan State. 
so much because he he was so obnoxious and annoying but good and I feel like he made Michigan fans salty when they lost to Michigan State they made us hate Michigan State that's what White has done to me they gave White all these cards that just make me salty Redain makes me salty I don't get to play my memory deluge on time it upsets me okay Uh, Elite Spellbinder what a salt inducing card it is when they have that at the right time is the blue player complaining that he can't play his spells right now because I'm going to lose it. (laughs) I'm going to lose it. This is not okay. I don't care about your stupid five-minute deluge. In a good way. I'm trying to give credit to how they got made white better. They made it not so nice. Does that make sense? Because white cards were always like, okay, history of Benalia. I get two knights and they get an anthem. And that was a great white card, but that's fair. It's too nice. And like Redain and and even like Sungold Sentinel exiling my graveyard so I can't cast it with Lear. You know, they're not playing nice anymore. They're they're getting they're just getting in there and tearing up the things you like to do a Give little. Give me the salt. Give it to me. Yeah, I, I I live on it. I think that's what they did to White, and I think it was good. Like and, and Skyclave Apparition and Brutal Cathar. Like if you're a person who just wants to play your big green creatures and brick wall the white aggro deck. Nope, they're not playing nice anymore. They're playing a creature that takes your creature. Uh, you want to block them on the ground? They're not playing nice anymore. They have Sky Maul, the closest thing left to Embercleave. That's how they got power back to white. They made it play in a way that would actually annoy people instead of like being the nice color. So they have a lot of tools to combat some of the better cards, like you were saying, the flying and the actually mm-hmm. having removal that isn't just atrocious in the apparition or now we've got the white removal that's actually quite good the um fateful absence fateful absence thank you (laughs) so they they did a really good job of bringing white up to speed making it competitive i think it's one of only like four playable decks right now uh, as far as like you know being s tier decks and uh and also you're right when you say things like nobody's clamoring to ban these cards because they are not the villains of the format they are not determining what is playable but we have the tools to beat those decks. So white is in a really unique spot and I, I like it. It's good for white because, you know, mono red has basically been the only aggro deck for a long time. And now it's kind of nowhere to be uh, seen. What a relief, by the way. You know, can I just say that, like, I'll take plenty more getting pounded by white or by green if it means that I don't have to deal with another stupid mono red deck for just a minute. Just give me a minute, right? <laughs> I mean, this is the first time in arena history where mono red has not been a deck. Like, is it like, am I right about that? No, you are. Like, seriously. There, there was one other time and nobody can talk about it because it was before the NDA lifted on the closed beta. It was when it was like only Ixalan. Ixalan was all it was. Okay. That, that was bad for mono red. But yeah. Other than that, every minute of arena has been play mono red if you want a good aggro deck. I, I know you have a, probably a soft spot for mono red because you've made a good amount of money bolting face. Hey, man. So I, I'm not a huge mono red fan. I play a lot of it because I don't play a ton of constructed. So when they're like, hey, we need you to play this tournament in a week. I'm like, all right, what can I learn to play in a week? And that is usually just mono red. So I don't have a, a really soft spot, but I do play it a lot. I, I like it that it's there. I'm comfortable. It's my friend. You know, I just life is so much better with this like nerd girl devil on CGB's shoulder. By the way, I just I just had to put that in there, man. It makes me so happy. Wait, angel or devil? I guess it depends which which uh, colors you want to support. Or... <laughs> 
depends on the topic. I kind of jump <laughs> right? around a little bit. There you go. <laughs> Love it. But yeah, she'll, she'll give me all the crap I, I need about being a control player complaining about casting spells. <laughs> <laughs> where? Where? Someone else wants to set the pace of the game. Where? <laughs> all right, there we go. I got my kick in. So I do feel like I've heard people saying this lately and I've started to kind of agree with it that I I feel like black is kind of the new white in a number of ways where like I feel like black seems to be consistently getting underserved when it comes to power level. I feel like there's there's been a number, there's been like a handful of things that have saved black, especially in standard. So one of them, for example, was the cat oven combo, right? I think that that was that kind of like managed to keep black strategies viable in formats with powerful stuff like Oko going on. Once they remove that from the format, I feel like black has been in this kind of unstable place where like it's always been able to do something, but it's never really felt like the best thing going on. What do you guys think about? where black has been in the last year or two of constructed i'm trying to think of the last black card that got banned from standard i don't yeah i i don't know that i agree i feel like Mm -hmm. i've seen a lot of black decks floating around that have always been pretty highly competitive i mean the last couple of years i mean it's been probably on the the edge of what you're suggesting but esper control was like you know definitely the best deck and then demir control we had a uh, soltai soltai in the uh, last rotation uh, in various formats just... soltai uro yeah, soltai Sol- ultimatum soltai was was pretty yeah. good yeah the uh, soltai big spell whatever that was yeah the, emergent ultimatum the ultimatum yeah super oppressive so i agree it's not all over the place but i mean green is a thing much less than than black i would say I feel like people saying that are just looking at current black and the fact that it has a terrible matchup against Epiphany. If uh, the Epiphany matchup weren't there, black is like really good. I mean, Arjuna, you know, because we've talked about them at length on this podcast, all the different black decks that I played in the last format. I can play black with any other color and do great against everything except for Epiphany. So I, I think it's just a product of what the current ceiling on the format is. I don't think Black's getting it that badly. And besides, uh, Black is like, it has fans, okay? It has fans in R&D. Black always comes back because it's always a very popular color. Like for new players, for experienced players, people are always trying to make various Black aggro and control decks work if i post a mono black video more than any other mono color it's likely to get clicks a little glimpse behind the curtain every format i have to find a few not just one a few interesting mono blacks because it usually goes to the top i will agree this post rotation seems like black is underserved but like as far as the last two years and as far as moving forward i think it's going to get a lot of love especially in a vampire theme set well, and actually, I think that you nailed it, Nerd Girl. I think the reason why people have perceived Black being, like, weakest is just because it hasn't had any cards banned, right? It's like <laughs> all of these other colors are getting cards banned left and right. And, well, like, maybe not white, right? But Black, I feel like they maybe they just got the power level right on Black and... It's just been kind of hovering under the radar a little bit. The the last banned black card was Cauldron Familiar. I I have now remembered. It hit me. It's like a one a one man a one one. Yeah. It was it's like the only one. <laughs> I know. The irony. The draft chaff. So like 
we talked, I want to get back to this like meta discussion about what makes a good format, right? So we've, we've gotten into some specifics about what's going on right now. So we've identified versatility in the mana base is something that makes a format feel more open, more versatile, makes more things feel possible. And as such, it makes that feeling of everything being solved either come later or just not happen at all. But like, what, what are some other good things that just will help to guarantee that a format feels fun and balanced. I'll go with one first, Amalia. I think that they've shown several times now in Magic's history that when you put too much reward in being a monocolor strategy, that it makes the format stale very quickly. So like Theros had the devotion strategy and um, mono black devotion and mono blue devotion were just omnipresent in standard for two years until it rotated and were just always extremely good and rarely changed any cards. And I think that being able to change cards, being able to like bring in new cards that actually have impact, you don't want to give too much power to existing archetypes, but it is important that there be some kind of change. Like, I guess the only people happy are people who really love that specific deck and never want to buy new cards for it. They can check out for like seven sets. Good for them. But yeah, when you have a monocolor deck and the incentives really push you there, it tends to create stale formats. Another one is Dominaria's standard had Goblin Chain Whirler. And were we doing oh, podcasts God. together then? I know I did set reviews where I just looked at every single thing with one toughness and was like, meh. But Chain Whirler, so this isn't a real card. It was the Bone Crusher Giant of that format. And it it was like an absurd amount of meta share before it rotated. It was built into Rakdos decks, but it was all about who has the best Rakdos deck at Worlds. I think Rakdos was like 70% of the meta, if I'm remembering this correctly. And then the last time that I think that there's too much incentive in a mono color would be right now. Like right now, if you play mono color, you get access to the best creature land, Faceless Haven. If you are in green, you get a three mana 4-4 trample that comes with another three mana 4-4 trample behind a ramp spell an old growth troll. When you think about trying to make the mana work for your werewolf deck, that you need double green for pack leader, and then you need a red for Tovalar, and that's a sweet curve, right? But then you compare that to, well, I could just play mono green, have the best creature land in standard, have turn two pack leader, turn three old growth troll, and no other deck that's trying to play a two drop or three drop can scale with me, then why would you play something else when you play green? Yeah. Old Growth Troll outpaces those werewolves and has card advantage because it comes back. So even if they do pump to get in, like still a uh, way, way behind in that situation. So I, I like the, the mono green or, or mono colored deck being kind of a hindrance on the format, which leads to mana base we were talking about. But another thing I think is just keeping all of the play styles more open right now. I think that mid range deck is just completely gone. So a lot of the good tools that are possibly available to beat one or the other type of either aggro or control are just not available to us because they're so bad against something specific. So I think that the power is just shifted to those other two poles, kind of just leaving one play strategy out, negating like all of our tools that we might be able to use to combat one of the other decks, right? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It's kind of like CGB said on our last episode, we were talking about the non-bans in Standard, and Covert Go Blue was like, oh, plenty of cards were banned. They just still happen to be playable in the format. 
but <laughs> you can put them in decks, but you essentially can't play them, right? They're unplayable if you want to win. And I think that we are living in a format which is unfortunately defined by one card, really. It's it's a combo, but it is really one card, and that is Auron's Epiphany. And, you know, nothing, I think nothing that people can say about, like, the way to work around it changes the fact that that is the card that currently defines the format. And I do think that whenever there's, like, a format is entirely configured around one card, I think that that's just, that's a bad format. I would say maybe a, a, a Sika's Chariot, the Cadillac, is like the other card where maybe any of the tools that you might be able to use to combat Chariot which would stop that mono green nonsense, it just can't beat a deck by the by turn seven, so it's just unplayable. Yeah, that's true as well. I I think that with Chariot, like I was really excited about finding things that were good against Chariot cards like Quandrix Command and Devastating Mastery. But they're so bad against Epiphany that they don't matter. Yeah, like so those can beat a, a specific deck, a chariot deck or something, mm-hmm. but it has a zero percent win rate because it can never finish the game before seven. And that's the thing with the Epiphany decks is you don't get another turn. I don't care how big your board is. I don't care what life total is. You just don't get to play anymore. Pop quiz, Arjuna. Do you remember what the top end of the format was in con standard? I don't. I wasn't paying close attention at that time. It's a card people hate. Uh, I'm just going to guess it was Siege Rhino. Oh, uh, so Siege Rhino was a huge part of the mid-range strategies, yeah. which I think is a lot of what people That's loved about that format. Yeah, Siege Rhino. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the top end was Ugin. Was it? Yeah, Ugin the Spirit Dragon. <laughs> okay. And that's the thing, right? You had all these awesome creatures. You could play all kinds of various colors. The power was in different sides of the color pie and different spots of the curve. So you tried to make the best Mantis Rider deck. You tried to make the best Siege Rhino deck. And the card on top like that would come down and take it all out, Ugin, was like, okay, but we got our value. You know, Siege Rhino got its money. Yeah. Uh, Mantis Rider comes back down with haste. There was just all kinds of ways to keep playing Magic after an Ugin. Even though people hate that card, Ugin rarely ends the game on the spot, right? Yeah. And then you can, like, bolt it or, or, you know, whatever the equivalent at the time is and then still get back in the game. Once the Ugin come to, comes down, you still get to keep playing Magic. And, yeah, you get another turn. <laughs> Which is not what we're currently playing in. I mean, a lot of Ugin decks haven't done you much damage, right? So you probably still get a bunch of turns to like soldier through those bolts to the face and just find something. Yeah. Right? So as long as you're playing a deck that has value and you pace your threats well, like, like I don't know why people always hate Ugin. <laughs> That's why it always makes me laugh, because it was like the top end of a format where it was rarely the end of the game. And it was, it was another sweet card. That's another one of those systems, though, where we had that mid-range deck. The Siege Rhino actually could combat the Ugin, and the Ugin would wipe out the aggro decks, and they couldn't stabilize because they ran out of cards. Mm-hmm. So it, we had that three-color rock-paper-scissor thing where now we just don't. Do you remember Wingmate Rock? I do. Five I, mana, three, four. I love four, that card. <laughs> and it made another and a token. one. Yeah, it was yeah. so good. I love that. I'm a, I'm a white player. Card would be horrible now because <laughs> they just cast All Runs Epiphany twice. <laughs> My favorite token is a, a Wingmate Rock token. It's a little penguin with a jetpack, and it's a three four. Nice. So it's a real token. It's great. I didn't know it came with a penguin. Now I see that card in a whole new light. You know what just occurred to me? The only reason why Emergent Ultimatum was the top end of its standard format was because of frickin' Allrun's Epiphany. That's true. You you are the one who nailed that, <laughs> both in a previous season and on day one of that format. You were like, okay, getting Emergent Ultimatum, Allrun's Epiphany, and anything else is busted. <laughs> 
pretty much, pretty much. But it's just funny for me to realize that like Allrun's Epiphany was basically the top end of that format as well. It just like had its buddies. So it was, I feel like Allrun's Epiphany is always kind of like hiding, right? It's, it's like the Mafia Dawn in prison, right? Like you just don't really see that it's there kind of winning all the games, but that's actually what's happening. So they'd start the Crimson Bow previews next week. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I mean, how, what would it take? Like, what card matters when they take all the turns on turn six or seven or whatever? Like, what can they show us that get you excited? Yeah, it's a good question. Here's something I'm wondering about. If we had another deck like Rogues in Standard, do you think that that would be enough to unseat these Epiphany decks? I think Rogues takes too long. I think that Rogues could play a game. It would need some of the pieces, like Into the Story and Drown in the Lock. Like, it it needs something very comparable to that. It does take a long time, so it would need to play the type of game plan people hate anyway, which is it's going to bleed you to death over several turns and counter anything cool you have to do. It would need more counter magic than it had previously. A a deck like Rogues can hone down the Epiphany and keep all the same cards banned that Epiphany kept banned. Because if you were going to play like a four or five mana spell, it's just countered. It just did nothing. And Rogues is picking you to death anyway. That's that's a really good point, right? Like when you're relying on your aggro control to kind of shut down like the top end of the format, then yeah, the mid range suffers from that splash damage as well. So I don't know that that's my only like suggestion as to because I feel like maybe what Wizards is counting on is for like, just any tier one deck to show up, which beats up on these is it decks badly enough that they just take a tick down in in their representation in the meta game, and then it's kind of like problem solved, right? Because then you know your mid range decks can come up, and it just things feel a little bit more balanced. But yeah, you're right in that like the deck which is good against that is probably also really good against mid range, and then that's just a different problem that you have basically i'm wondering if they can tack on a couple of things and these you know cards are built two years in advance so that like there's nothing they can do to fix it it's already done unfortunately but like something along the lines of like you know opponents can't make tokens you know or or something like that which would lock down the dragon a little bit which would slow down the epiphany from coming out and being able to draw as many cards and like get a little access so i feel like maybe some cards that are on the battlefield that could potentially limit just like their static ability limits a thing from happening uh, might help or a card like um, Narset where you can't draw cards while this is out you have to deal with this thing making you have to destabilize your deck to put in an answer for Narset so you can deluge and then get your epiphanies just something to kind of unseat this how stable these epiphany decks are yeah the game plan they get do right now is they just don't let anything on the board really affect them and have their way there's nothing that kind of has this epic impact on the game that we can do to them. If we play a Redane, they bolt it, right, at their leisure and then do their thing. So I feel like I'm <laughs> shuffling up four Deluges, four Epiphanies, and four Dragons or, or whatever. Uh, even if I'm doing the Azorius game plan of control, like, my win rate is through the roof. I mean, granted, I'm not, you know, <laughs> always playing top tier and this is invested one, but it's like, if I've got Doomscar and Epiphany in my deck, like, I just can't lose. It's true. In best of one, I think that less less win cons and just endless misery for your opponent is highly rewarded. It uh, is. I'm not even trying and I'm beating people and I feel gross. 
I will say, whatever you want to say about the format, I have been tagged by so many people on Twitter who hit Mythic playing Azorius Control with no creatures and no win cons. Mm-hmm. It, 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 that's, I guess, the bright side. Yeah, and then so we've got so much viewer crossover that his viewers come and bring me his crazy, absurd decks that I have to play on Wednesdays, and it just... She's oh, sick. Dad. She's sick of it. I'm like, what's the win con here, guys? They're like, oh, this counter spell that shuffles four cards back into your deck, and I'm just like, I have to play what now? <laughs> I'd never meant to hurt my friends. <laughs> I was just a control mage, humble control mage, torturing my enemies. Lodi. I, I don't know how we're going to solve this format. I do feel like a banning. I, I feel like a banning is coming at some point. I just feel like Alrin's Epiphany is going to go the way of Agent of Treachery. I think this calls for something we haven't done in a while, but the last time we did it, you got it right. We need an over-under date on an Epiphany ban. What do you oh, think? Oh, there we oh. go. Okay. 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 Uh, um, so I got my calendar. I'm, I'm looking at my calendar here. Hold on. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. All right. So the new set releases, like, is it the 4th or the 11th of November? I think it's the 4th. It's, it's pretty early. And then I think it releases in paper on the 18th. And I think that they're going to want to give it a chance and then their next big competition is on the 11th of december i think that's when there's a big championship so i wanted to say i don't know if this is too long but six weeks into the new format do you think that gives me too much runway you want six weeks into the new format you want over or under so i want it to be under six weeks into the new format so you want to predict under six weeks into the new format i'll take over so i think you're right so i think I think release is on the 18th, which puts paper pre-release at the 11th, which means it's on Arena. On f- so you, yep. you're correct. Those are the three dates. Uh, I'll take the over. So one, two, three, four, five. So six weeks would be December 16th. A ban by December 16th. Which does, I think, put me conveniently the week after that, that tournament. Happens. After that tournament. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I think what I'm trying to figure out is... Do they want to ban it to make that tournament interesting and watchable? Or do they want to ban it afterwards? Oh, man. In, oh. I don't think that they are going to... They, I think they might not even ban it. How long did they leave us with Oko? I'm taking I, the over. The game company I want at the helm would ban it before the tournament and give us an interesting format and a really, really watchable thing. And the game company we have, I think, would ban it after. <laughs> or at all. Or not at all. Yeah, you're taking not at all. Oh, I, I was saying... After or not at all. Like, okay. I, I'm on that side. All right. Remind me where we're at. Arjuna. 16. Are you are you under or over? He said under. Okay. I'm I'm the under. Um, well, I'm gonna take the over, partially because Arjuna and I are the ones doing this cast and he has I to be able be to here. rub it in my face when he's right. All right. If Auron's Epiphany is banned <laughs> before the the sixteenth of December, on or before the sixteenth of December. I will <clears throat> have to host that show <laughs> as pain and suffering. Yeah. I, you, oh God, because you already host most of the shows. Funny hat. You know what? You'll just have to say the words I love the most in the world. Uh, Covert Go Blue was right. <laughs> you know, I not only will I admit it on the show, but I will admit it publicly on Twitter. Oh. So that's, bi- that's big time. Okay. We've got ourselves a little date bet. That's that's cool. Uh, let us know Love in it. the comments on YouTube. Would you take the over or under on December 16th? All Runs Epiphany banned by then or not? Or after that? 
Um, here's another little thing. We didn't really set an end date for our last little bet, which I think is, in my opinion, is currently tied, right? It is. So our last bet was we had Primal Adversary versus Storm the Festival. So oh. that's the one that I'm hearkening back to. Right? I'm under the impression that you won because it, oh, because really? Primal Adversary was played at Worlds, two copies, Storm the Festival, zero. <laughs> I'm under the impression that you won. I won the first well, two weeks hard, but you won well, the war. Did yeah, I? You did. Okay. You did. I, I wasn't sure where we were measuring the end of that, right? Because I also feel like either of those cards could become more prominent in future standard as well. Well, we'll just right? revisit it every time there's a major shakeup and uh Okay. Alright. Well I'm I'm currently considering us even. Okay, cool. I like this because yeah. I thought I lost. <laughs> Okay, before we go out here, it's so fun getting to talk about Limited on this podcast. Get out of here. Let's go. (laughs) So this is what I wanted to do, is I wanted to go over the Limited sets that are currently in Standard, and I just wanted to do, like, this is a a time-tested tradition that we have on this podcast. It's called Gas or Ass. And basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to name the set, and then I want for you to just give a little exposition about whether it was gas in a great set or whether it was ass in a terrible set, all right? Oh, man, this is a hard game for me because I don't form super strong opinions about things. <laughs> we're we're like, forcing well, hot takes. All right, we're, we're forcing yeah. the that, takes. That's okay. what it's designed to all do. Right. That you right. can't middle road it. <laughs> Hit me. All right, Zendikar Rising, gas or ass? I don't even remember what I had for lunch, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, party. That was the party set, right? That was a, a fun yep. thing. Uh, I felt like the sets were, I was able to play multiple colors. I never felt like I was locked into only one, but party was pretty good. But I mean, I didn't get super tired of it. So I, I'll say gas, but it's, you know, it's, it's in the middle ish, but towards gas, but as you put, put me in gas. <laughs> So real quick, for me, it was the gassiest of recent formats. I love that format. I agreed. I felt like you could play just about any color pair. Um, I played so many sweet decks in that format, and I actually like got totally, totally set complete playing limits in that format. So loved it. Okay, next, Kaldheim, gas or ass? So I know you're going to say ass, but I <laughs> thought it was gas. I didn't get sick of playing it. I didn't feel like... You know, there were things that were better than the others, but I could still make a sick elf deck. I, the snow decks were fun. Like the play two cards deck, I was able to make sweet ones of those. I always felt like there was a seven win deck in any color that I could find and, and mix it up. So I liked it well enough. And unlike the last set, I actually got excited about my decks. I, I think I liked Keldheim more because I think the cards themselves were more fun for me, even though the decks and the playability was a little bit sweeter in in the previous one. I, I feel like opinions are so split on that limited format. I feel like half the people just loved it, loved all the decks, loved everything about it, and the other half just could not get into it. Uh, it was definitely an ass format for me. It felt like a three-deck format to me. I felt like the multicolor snow decks just like sucked the blood and the life out of all of the other archetypes that I think otherwise would have been sweet. In my opinion, was actually an example of a format that had too much fixing. It was too easy to build multicolor decks in that format, and I actually think that that ruined it. So, okay, next, Strixhaven School of Mages. I'm going to say gas. I mean, the what was good changed every week because of what people thought was good and what got overdrafted. And also, like, 
I never knew what was going on. In one draft, this one thing would go super late and I would think there would be some consistency. I'd go to another draft and, and it would be completely different. And uh, I had trouble finding my lanes and uh, I got to play a lot of different things because the format was shifty. I, I liked it. I'm going to give it a reluctant guess. I think it was a pretty good limited format. I definitely enjoyed myself playing it. I felt like it was quite versatile. Honestly, one of my least favorite things about the format was environmental sciences. I think that that was like basically the mythic common of the set. And I think that it really warped the draft perspective. And I just felt like having cards like that in a set is really bad for limited. But, you know, overall, I think that they did a good job and I had a lot of fun playing it. Okay, Dungeons and Dragons, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, gas or ass? So this makes me really sad because I don't want to say this, but I'm going to give it a reluctant ass. I love the set. I had fun. I love the flavor. I love the cards. I still enjoyed drafting the decks that sucked, but Rakdos Sacrifice was too strong and honestly just kind of ruined a lot of the other things. You know, you play your first card and they play a black and you're just like, please don't play red. They play red and you're just like, oh, great, I lose. And that that kind of sucked out some of the fun, but flavor, the die rolls, I loved everything about it. But unfortunately, it was kind of an ass set to play. Uh, I'm going to give it ass on the grounds that I never played one single game of that limited format. (laughs) 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 No one. He, he just I, looked and said, nah. All right, what do you I, think, Ben? You you have the same qualifications as I him. I do have the same qualifications. <laughs> Thank you. Wow, not, not so nice to have the devil on your shoulder now, is it? Uh, <laughs> calling it out. Um, yes, uh, I, I think rolling dice in magic is ass. But it was actually good, though. None of the die rolling was, like, important. As a qualified person to state my opinion on a podcast, that's my opinion. Man. (laughs) And finally, to get your opinion on Innistrad Midnight Hunt, where are you coming down on that, Nerd Girl? So I I am more towards the middle now than I was. I have been solidly in the ass category from, you know, start till more recently. I've switched to best of three and it's gotten a lot better and I'm enjoying myself. I'm getting to see a lot of other decks. I'm having results with other things. But I do think that blue black is just too powerful. It's a similar thing to the last set with the D and D set. And I think it's actually way worse. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give it the the, the good old ass rating. Get solid ass from me as well. Uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, Midnight Hunt. You just didn't get there. Okay, now finally I want to give us just like a little let's gamble a little bit on the future, right? So we have to we have to look forward to Innistrad Crimson Vow. Let's all just kind of throw out our predictions. Will this be a gas or ass limited format? What do you think? I'm going to say ass. <laughs> you're just, you're going to guess right now that's an ass format. So, so we have the werewolf set. Mm-hmm. Blue, black zombies is clearly the best. The vampire set, I know white, green humans is going to be the nuts and that's going to be it. Like I just, I'm just going to guess if I, we have no spoilers. That's not true. I actually know one card. <gasps> Ooh. But that doesn't count for anything. So I'm just going to say ass. <laughs> it must, it must be It must be a bad card. <laughs> my ass rating has nothing to do with my preview card. Does it have a very high toughness? I can say no things. <laughs> I don't know what to predict for a limited format. So, I mean, they're all ass to me. <laughs> 
I'll uh, I'll go ahead and put my ass in the ring as well. So that's three thumbs down for Innistrad Crimson Vow. I hope um, we're all I, wrong. Yeah, of course. You know, I'm actually predicting it's not going to be a great standard format either. So I I don't know. I'm kind of kind of bummed. Fearful, a little a little cautious out here. Yeah, we're close, man. They're, like like if we're close. Maybe a ban away. Maybe a new archetype or mechanic away. Let, we'll see. We shall see indeed. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up the show for this week. Nerd Girl, we should have you on here more often. Aww. It's been an absolute pleasure. So before we go out, just um, tell the people where can they find you and like what's hot stuff that you're doing right now or coming up that they should be aware of. Yeah, so you guys can find me, MTG Nerd Girl, no spaces on all platforms, Twitter, YouTube, uh, Twitch. The current thing I'm doing is a week of co-ops with CGB. So you guys will see a ton of that content coming out. I've got a draft with CGB and some EDH coming out on my YouTube channel. But I fly home in a couple of days and I'll be getting back to my regular stream schedule. And uh, the only other thing that I have going on, which you guys could follow, is I started my own streaming organization called Degenerate Gaming. So you guys could check that out and follow it as well. Yeah, Degen Gaming is awesome. Y'all have like a lot of my favorite content creators on there already. And uh, you've done such a good job with that. So really, really impressed with that. You can find the Arena Craft podcast on Spotify. You can find us on pretty much anywhere that you find podcasts. You can also watch it live. Well, not live, but you can watch us moving and talking on Covert Go Blue's YouTube channel, YouTube forward slash Covert Go Blue. And uh, I'm not actually sure if that URL works or not. It doesn't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just look for Covert well, Go Blue on YouTube. You get, you can do this. You got the, this. It's the listener. 21st you century. Can do it. You'll, you'll figure it out. <laughs> um, you can find Covert Go Blue streaming at least thrice weekly on Twitch. You can also find me streaming somewhat intermittently on Twitch. If you want deck lists and other interesting pieces of information, you can always follow ArenaCraftPod on Twitter. That's where I post a lot of stuff like that. You can join the Discord. We do have a Discord. It's moderated at the moment by a couple of... We got Matosh. And uh, we also got Symphoneers. Just wanted to give them a shout out because they do amazing work in there every week. And uh, they often don't get the recognition for what they do. So thanks so much for doing that. And finally, if you want to support us financially, you can do that on Patreon. We always love our Patreon supporters. Y'all are the life's blood of the show. You keep us going. You keep us motivated. You keep our editors paid. So thank you so much for everyone who shows up for that. It is a non-trivial contribution to the show. All right. Kovac Go Blue, take us out. Later, crafties. <laughs>